Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you, and if you're using one of those, it's going to be page 1201, 1201, and um, it's been a while since we have been in James, and uh, that's one of the reasons I encourage you guys to read through James this past week, so we kind of got updated. Um, and as we step back into this, we're going to, we're going to spend quite a few weeks in, uh, James chapter five. This will take us through the month of May as we finish up, uh, our time in James. And, um, Andrew, if you would click that X and get, close this out. Thanks brother. And uh, as we as we step into James chapter five, I, I uh, told some of my staff and my wife this week that uh, James is one of those books of the Bible that uh, pulls no punches, and it is uh, not going to ease us into James chapter five either. And so I'm gonna I'm just gonna come straight out with our main idea for today because honestly speaking. Uh, This main idea that we see in this text is one that if we really take to heart, uh, this one phrase is enough for us to sit on. (laughs) And then we're going to see how the text reveals this is the main uh, thought. Uh, This is, if, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to wrestle with this. Anything that drives our life more than Jesus will indict us at Christ's return. Anything that drives our life more than Jesus will indict us at Christ's return. When I wrote this down this week after spending time in James chapter 5, <laughs> I, I sat down with my wife and I said, I don't like this. Because this is hard. And this is heavy. And yet, I believe firmly that God's word is given to us that we would not remain where we are, but that we would become who God has called us to be. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, we believe strongly that God has called us to be untethered from the world and live free in Christ. To live freely in Christ for the things that are according to God's purposes, not our purposes. And that in and of itself is one of the uh, least American things you can say. <laughs> that it's not about us, but it is about Him who saved us. 
And that's a priority we have to recognize if we're going to grow as a people free in Christ. If we miss this, we, we miss all of it. Because the gospel itself is fixated on Jesus as the only way for salvation. Jesus himself said that in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Therefore, if you or I attempt to let anything else drive the course of our life instead of Jesus, it is that that we will give account for when Jesus returns. And this is true whether you say you're a follower of Jesus today or not. That when you stand before God, we will account for all the things that we allow to drive our lives instead of Jesus. Now, James has been writing primarily to whom? This is a pop quiz. The church, right? Brothers. Over and over again through the book of James, we see him use the word brothers. He exhorts brothers. And the implication of that is he's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. But as you're going to see in a minute, when we get to the beginning of James chapter 5, it becomes one of the few places in James where he is not speaking an exhortation to brothers. Rather, what we see is him speaking an exhortation to a specific group of people so that brothers and sisters in Christ would heed this warning. It's a heavy reality. And so I'm going to start at verse 1 and we're going to read through verse 9 today. And it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who, you, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Father, as we step into this May you open our eyes to see the areas with which we have allowed other things of this world to drive who we are and what we do rather than Jesus. Lord, convict us in those areas and help us to be a people set free from the earthly tethers that we tie ourselves to, freely walking in a way that is only given to us through the name of Jesus. And it is in his name we pray these things. Amen. Now, I want you to think about this portion of James as if there's a group of people on trial. Because that's the language he's using. 
these things will be evidences against you. And he lists four specific indictments against what group of people? Who's he talking to? The rich. Everyone say the rich. Now, here's something interesting when we stop and we consider who he's writing to. Because the definition of rich seems to be very relative, especially in a Western sense. We have our own idea about what it means to be, quote-unquote, rich. And the reality is, in fact, if you go back and you were to look up some studies that were done around 2012 and even present day, here's a, a really staggering reality for us to wrestle with in our Western world. If you made anywhere from thirty to $34,000 a year, uh, according to statistics, you would be in the top 1% to 3% of wealth in the world. Okay, I want you to put that in perspective. Billions of people around the world work for $2 a day. $2 a day, that comes out, if you work an eight-hour day, to about $0.25 an hour. Now, I don't say that to motivate any kind of guilty perception, but rather to see that if we are not careful, you and I can fall into these same categories that James is speaking out against. Nowhere here does he call these individuals brothers. However, as we read this, we can go, brothers and sisters in Christ can fall into the same traps as the ungodly rich in our society. We are just as prone to fall into these traps if we are not on guard and fixated on Jesus as anyone else. So we would be wise to take heed to what it is the rich have account being brought against them. Now understand, an indictment is something that is a charge that's brought out against you. It's not the final verdict, but it is a charge brought out against you. And hang on to that because that's going to be key when we get to the end of this and think about what now. But look, I want to show you four indictments that James brings against the rich. And the first one of those is in verse 3. Or in verse 2, I apologize. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Uh, verse 3. I was right the first time. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. The first indictment against the rich is your storehouses on earth are full. You have plentiful amounts in your storehouses. Now, you might wonder, why is this such a broad indictment? Well, oftentimes, it's not difficult for us to discover where our security is, right? And in fact, our security is often in something that we spend a majority of our time focused in on, rooted in, and, and it often shows. Because if I find security in something, I spend a lot of time on that and with that, and it often is built up because I found that to be a security thing. Uh, for my kids, when they were growing up, they found security of a kind in blankets and stuffed animals. Many of you resonate with that. And so if you were to see their beds, what would you find? Piles! 
piles. I'm going, this is an ungodly amount of stuff. There's this little crevice where they kind of crawl into, right? And I'm going, why is that? Well, there's an aspect of security there. And there's a really profound illustration in that. I know adults who find some of their greatest security in their stuff. And you step into their homes, and what do you find? Piles. That doesn't mean you're a hoarder, but it can mean that I've found security in stuff, in things. And it would be wise for me to step back and remember this main idea and go, whoa, whoa, anything that drives me more than Jesus will be a charge brought against me when Christ returns. If I allow it to, if I allow it to, the, the rich here have laid up treasure in the last days. The last days indicating the time when Jesus would return and would bring justice and judgment to all. You need to realize it will not just be the followers of Christ who bow before the Lord when he returns. He says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is in fact Lord. Whether you are saved in that moment or not, you will know Jesus is in charge. So what drives me today? Now, there's several passages that speak out against this idea of laying up treasure on earth in any time frame. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How many of us, if we've sat in church any amount of time, could quote, especially this last portion, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But oftentimes, family, where the rubber meets the road, this is not practically lived out in who we are. And it is evidenced when that which we focus on is threatened. If our hope is in our financial status, when there is talk and rumbling about the economy crashing, guess what we do? Ah! Oh no! Everything I have my security in is in danger. It's shifting, it's changing. What do I mean? What am I going to do? How am I going to process this? And then we start reading articles and watching news stories, which is the worst idea. It's the worst thing you can do. Everyone loses their minds. Why is that? Because I have found my security in this. If we want to identify areas where we are most prone to fix our eyes, look at the things that cause you the most anxiety and stress. Parents, that does not mean you identify your children. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is sometimes, sometimes for parents in that realm, I can find my greatest source of security in how my kids behave. And then I get wind that they're acting up or they act up and what I, I lose my mind. Because, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm failing as a parent and all these things are unraveling. What am I going to do? How am I going to... You, you see how we do this? The contrast to that is when we have our eyes fixed on a source that doesn't change and is not impacted by everything else. Then we experience what Philippians 4 reveals as a peace that surpasses understanding. 
but it's only found in Christ. Because everything else is in flux. And Proverbs 11:28 brings this to light. It says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. But the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. First Timothy kind of gives the contrast to this in a, in a way of, okay, I'm not to have treasures on the earth. I'm not to fix my eyes on possessions or earthly things. What should I do? And Paul's letter to Timothy here says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, here's another warning, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into what? Ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Oof. The first indictment, you have laid up treasure in the last days. There should be a difference between the follower of Jesus and the rest of the world. The second indictment in verse 4 is that you've committed fraud against your workers. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvest have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. A side note to this, when we read Scripture... And we can identify who is God in this. God hears our cries. Right? The cries of the laborers who are living in injustice because the wealthy owners have withheld wages from them. They've done their job. They've worked. And these greedy, rich individuals have said, I'm not going to pay you. Why would they do that? Well, because their eyes are fixed on something else. My eyes are fixed on this pile of money that I can accumulate or this pile of stuff. And man, if I can sneak by under the surface and accumulate more for myself, then that's what I'm going to do. Even if it costs this other person everything. I don't care because I'm focused on me. It's the second indictment. The third indictment is verse 5. It says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. And then it paints this word picture that is just devastating if you think about it. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Everyone say, whoa. This is a warning. This is a warning. And the people... The brothers and sisters James is writing this letter to would have known the specific circumstances that he's talking about. This would not have been a foreign concept to them like that he's speaking hypothetically. This was really happening right in their midst. You can look in our culture today and see the similar things happening right in your midst. Injustices, things that are happening that you wish you could change but you can't, but the broader question you should be asking is, am I contributing to this way of living by who I am? Am I letting other things drive this ship? Or am I 
letting Jesus be the one I fix my eyes on? Am I making him Lord of my life? It's interesting, in Luke 12, we have kind of this picture of, of something similar taking place with one who self-indulges, fixes their eyes on the wrong things. It says, and he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now the greatest warning in this passage in Luke chapter 12 is this. Tonight, your soul may be required of you. The amount of times that we tell ourselves, you know what, I'll get these things in order in time. For now, I'm just going to enjoy where I'm at and what's going on in my life. And there will be time for that. We don't know that to be true, family. And I could point to so many instances. You know of specific instances where yesterday someone was fine and the day after they were gone. What am I allowing to drive me today? Because there may not be a tomorrow. The reality is eternity is forever. And if we think about our life in the scope of eternity, it is a blip on the map. We, James talked about that, right? Your life is but a mist that's here today and gone tomorrow. Family, we focus way too much time on all of this And creating a paradise here when the only lasting paradise has been brought to fruition through Jesus. And can only be accessed through Him. Where do we fall in this category? In our current culture, I would say we tend towards storing up for ourselves earthly treasures. And family... I put myself right in that same camp. It's all, it is hard. Oh, contentment is hard. Turn to your neighbor and say, contentment's hard. It, this is a reality. And yet, we have a responsibility to recognize none of this lasts. Tomorrow can all be taken away. What lasts is Christ. The fourth indictment here in verse 6 goes a step further beyond just defrauding workers. It says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, many people read this and ask the question, does murder here really mean that they've killed people over wealth? And we have absolutely no reason to assume it doesn't. And in fact, if you go back to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, He actually is speaking to brothers in Christ. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you what? 
You murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask wrongly. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see the, you see the pattern here? This is not a new idea as James is writing to them. This is a problem. It's a problem because people have fixed their eyes on the wrong things. What is at the heart of all of this? Selfishness, self-preservation, self-advancement. When it becomes about me, rather than Jesus, we are charting a course in the very wrong direction. Church family, if it becomes about us as the church organization here, instead of him who has saved us, we are moving in a very, very wrong direction. May that not be so. And so these indictments come out, and what is the verdict in the midst of these indictments, these charges brought against the rich? And we see that in specifically in verse 2. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. And so there is, in light of this verdict of guilt for where they have fixed their eyes, this exhortation in verse 1 that says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now we get to the end of a passage like this, and honestly, it's, it should be sobering, right? We start a section like this, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. That is not something you hear today. It's just not. Because we want to, you know, we want to stay really positive. And, and everything needs to be good. Everything needs to be okay. We need to tell everyone, you're okay, everything's going to be fine. It's not. It's not. And if you doubt that, read 1 Timothy, because Paul warns him and says, in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, greedy for selfish gain, disobedient to their parents, ungodly, unrighteous. He makes these descriptions. So when people come to me and say, can you believe the state that our world's in? I go, yes. Yes, I can. Because God's word said this is what would happen. And if we're waiting, family, if we're waiting for all of this to get better before Jesus returns, we're looking in the wrong place. It won't get better until Jesus comes back. And he sets all things in order. And he will. He, he's coming. God will fulfill his promises. He will redeem all things. But it is only those in Christ that will get to experience that redemption. It is only those who've decided I follow Jesus who will be part of that victory. And that's his warning. In the last days, the rich have stored up pointless wealth for themselves that is worthless in eternity. It means nothing. And so how do we respond to this? Based in that main idea that anything that drives our life more than Jesus will indict us when Jesus returns comes a second subcategory to that that helps us to apply these things and do a self-evaluation. Anything 
that drives our life more than Jesus has become an idol to us. That's where the rubber meets the road. When we prioritize anything other than our Savior and what He's called us to, that has become the idol we worship over God. Regardless of how you list your priorities, how you live your life determines what your priorities actually are. And it has to be evaluated daily for me to go, where am I prone to take my eyes off of my Savior and look to something of this world? And family, it's a daily temptation to do just that. Because I'm with you. I'm concerned about how we're going to provide for things if things continue to get bad. Uh, that, that, my flesh worries about those things. I get concerned about what things are going to look like if it becomes harder for churches to declare authentic truth. But I can tell you we will continue to proclaim it even if it costs us every physical thing we have. Why? Because Jesus is eternal. And He is worth so much more than anything that we have in this world. And this is where we come to a place of recognizing that every one of us has the opportunity to obtain the greatest wealth known to mankind, the gift of salvation through Jesus. Every one of us has access to the Father through Christ. And all it takes is us recognizing, I need more than myself. I can't do this alone. I'm a sinner who is seeking a holy God and I can't get anywhere close. So what do I do? I fix my eyes on Jesus and I say, I will follow him because he is the only way. And you need to wrestle with the question, do you follow him? Do you follow Jesus? And if you do, do you wrestle with the realities that are at hand? Or are you content with the way things are? Do you recognize that your worth and your value has nothing to do with your social status and economic place in this world? I want you to hear that again. Your worth and value has absolutely nothing to do with your social status and economic value in this world. It has nothing to do with it. it. has everything to do with whether or not you see who God says you are. And the reality is, we often answer that and say, God loves me, he, see, he made me the way I am. No, actually God says you're a sinner who cannot come into his presence. But he also says... In Christ, I made a way for you to be adopted into my family and saved forever. Who do you follow, family? Anything that drives us more than Jesus will indict us and be brought against us when Jesus returns. If I'm in Christ, I can hold fast the promise of Romans 8 that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But only for those who are in Christ. May that be true of us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as they do, I want to read these last couple verses in James chapter 5, verse, verses 7 through 9.
Because when we ask the question then, if I follow Jesus, what should this look like? What should this look like in my life? And he exhorts his brothers and sisters. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Don't delay, brothers and sisters. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song. It may be new to some of you, but the song says, My worth is not in what I own. And it proclaims the truth we've just been talking about. And then the chorus says, I rejoice in my Redeemer. This is my Savior, the lover of my soul. And I will look to Him no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. May that be true of us. Father, as we proclaim these truths, may you guide us and direct us to be a people for your own possession, untethered from the world, free in Christ, and eagerly, patiently anticipating the return of Jesus. Lord, may you convict us in ways that we identify the things we allow to drive us more than Christ. And may we be becoming a people who simply fix our eyes on Him and walk obediently and faithfully 